Strongsville Christian Church, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Um, there was a MS he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance. To the Let no man deceive you by any means, for the day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Strongsville Christian Church. Real, real, Jesus is real to me. Singing, oh, yeah, he gave me the so many people doubt him, but I can't live without him. That is why I love him so, because he's so real to me. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Do you believe that Jesus is real? Amen. Is he real to you? Amen. And you may all be seated. I praise and thank the Lord today because he is real to me. Amen. And when you think about it, see, there's games that people play. You can uh, play a game. One game is Grant That Fado. A lot of people like playing that game. And basically, it's a free game. You just do whatever you want to do. Um, it's pr probably not a good game for kids, mostly. It's really not a good game for kids. Maybe not even a good game for Christians. But I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. So if you, if you don't choose to do bad stuff, then I guess it's not really bad. But the point I'm making is in Grant That Fado, People take a lot of chances because they realize it's not real. You know, they commit a whole bunch of crimes. They do all type of crazy stuff, shoot people, punch old ladies and all type of stuff. Yeah, they do some crazy stuff on Grand Theft Auto and they do it because they know it's not real. So they know that the stars come and, and you get more stars and the police come on you heavier, the more stars you get. And if they shoot you, if they kill you or they arrest you and take you to jail, you don't have to serve the time. You know, you, you, the game loads, you start all over again. So people will do anything. They will jump off buildings. They, people put in cheat codes just to fall high from the sky and land on the ground. People do that. And the reason why is because they realize that there's no consequence for it. It's not real. It's not really happening. But what if you were to challenge those same people to do those things in real life? they're not gonna do it because they know that it's real. In real life, there's real consequences. You're, you, you don't get a whole bunch of lives. You don't get infinite lives in this earth. You get one life, you get one chance, amen, to get it right with God in, in one lifetime. You don't get two lifetimes. There's no reincarnation. So a lot of people um, are afraid of heights. I'm one of them, I'm afraid of heights. Um, but. Even people that's not afraid of heights, you won't catch them just jumping off of a building because they believe that if they fall from a height that's too high, they would die. And because they know that that is real, it's a reality, because they know that if they hit the ground, they're gonna die, they don't do it. But it's funny that people say they believe that God is real and they believe the wrath of God is real they believe that heaven is real and they believe that hell is real. They believe that the wages of sin is death. It's real. The Bible says it and it's true. But 
they don't treat it as important as the real things that they see in this earth. What if people took their religion as serious as they took death or as serious as they took jumping off of a building? They're not going to do it because they're real. Well, why don't why do people sin against God so freely, so abundantly if they really believe he's real? See, I believe that if you really know in your heart that God is real, it's not going to be easy for you to sin against him, especially not constantly, because you realize that the punishment for sin is real. You realize that hell is real. So you're not going to just live your life any old regular way, but you're going to uh, live it in a real way. Amen. And some people even say, you know, you're not real. And when people say that, they just saying, you know, you you basically you're putting up a facade. You're, you're fake. And that's a little bit about what the sermon is. He gave me this title that my religion is not recreational. Amen. What does recreation mean? It means activity done for enjoyment when one is not working. Activity done for enjoyment. So whenever you do something for recreation, that means it's not really important. It's not important at all. You're just doing it for enjoyment. How do you know? Because work is not recreational. You don't do work because it's so enjoyable. You do work because you need to put food on your table. Now, some people love their job. I love my job that I do. But still, there are times within my work day that is not enjoyable. Amen. So I can't call it recreation or recreational. When you go to a recreation center, you go there to have fun. You go there to shoot hoops, play basketball, maybe box, work out, whatever it is. But you go to enjoy yourself. You don't really go to benefit from anything except for gaining muscle or, you know, exercising is good for your body. But I've seen so many people and I've been there myself that treat their relationship with God as recreational. Amen. And what I mean by that is people do not take their religion serious at all. And even people that do take it kind of serious, there's a lot of people that don't take their religion as serious as they should. Amen. And that's the word that the Lord placed on my heart today is my religion. I don't know about everybody else. As for me and my house, yeah, but I don't know about everybody else's household. My religion is not recreational. Amen. And I just come to declare that today and to help you all to declare that as, as well, that our religion, the God that we serve, the reason why we come to church every week, the reason why we walk the walk of faith, the reason why we live the will of God, why we study the word of God, the reason why we pray to him, the reason why we praise his holy name, it's not for recreation. Although it can be and it is enjoyable, the purpose of it is not recreational. Amen. The first scripture I have for you is in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, starting at the 16th verse. It reads, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
I've been hearing this guy on TikTok, and I'm not gonna say his name. I, I don't even remember his name at all. But I remember, I, I seen this video on TikTok of this guy talking about how to get into heaven. And he basically was saying that Jesus already lived the perfect life for you on your behalf, which part of what he said was true, that he died for our sin. Yeah, that's true. Painting a, a picture that you don't have to repent in order to heaven because Jesus already lived the perfect life in your behalf. So you don't have to live that life. Even though Jesus himself said greater things shall you accomplish because I go unto the Father, the reason why he the Father is to give us the comforter, to give us the Holy Spirit. Well, I noticed that when he was sharing this, he never pointed out any scripture whatsoever. Never used the Bible. Everything he said was from his own logic, from his own intelligence, and from his own in, 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 uh, interpret, interpret, interpretation. He was just rambling on, saying these things, and, and a lot of things that he was saying was not true. And this is the way the devil works, is he'll mix in truth with lies to deceive people and to make them believe opposite of the word of God. Well, my Bible tells me that you have to repent, amen. The Bible says that if you do not repent, you will go to hell. It's as simple as that. So you can't use Jesus's sacrifice and use Jesus's life as an excuse to live any way you want to. Actually, we use Jesus's uh, sacrifice and we use his life and his death as an excuse not to do what we want to do. Amen. And I'll get to that later in the message. But it says that scripture, the word of God, the reason why we read the word, the reason why we come to church every week and we hear the word is not recreational. It's not for us to just enjoy because I noticed something. When I was young, I loved and I still love going to church, but I love going to church. Even when I did not take my relationship with God serious, I loved going to church. Why? It was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Even though I was living a life of sin, when I came into the church, I enjoyed myself because my church would jump around and dance and praise the Lord. And the Bible does say all ye that have, pray, uh, have breath, praise ye the Lord. So I would praise the Lord, too. At first, I would feel guilty about it because I knew I was living in sin. But eventually I said, you know what? Rather I'm living in sin or not, God still deserves praise. And I would praise the Lord. I wasn't worshiping him because the Bible says in order to worship God, you must do it in what? Spirit and in truth. But I was praising God. And even though I was not spiritual at all, I enjoyed it. It felt good. The Bible says in my presence, God said in my presence is the fullness of joy. And even though I did not have the Holy Spirit, I felt that fullness of joy. So I wasn't coming to church with expectation. I wasn't coming to church to be edified, to be built up as the body of Christ. I wasn't coming to church to repent of my sins. I wasn't coming to be delivered from the hands of the enemy. No, I was coming to enjoy myself. I was coming to feel good. And in fact, the preacher that I would listen to, they would make me feel even better. Even though I was living in sin, the preacher would make me feel good. And it wasn't at this church, obviously. But the preacher would preach a message, uh, the message and it would never convict me. I would never feel guilty. I would never go, okay, I need to change my life. The message was always building me up. It was always building my confidence. It was always building my, uh, my smile. 
and it felt good, and that is the reason I came. But I had to get to a place in my life where even though I knew I enjoyed church, I had to start coming with expectation, amen? Not just with a uh, purpose of enjoying myself or a purpose of feeling good because that's why people leave a lot of churches. That's why a lot of people have left this particular church because they will come and not be expected to uh, be convicted. They come not with the expectation that they need to change. They come with the expectation of being uh, uh, fed with sugar, being that they're, they're itching ears. They, they will want their ears to be tickled. And when they did not receive that, they would leave the church because their purpose was not to be edified. Their purpose was to stay the same and feel good about it. And a lot of us are here today. James 5 and 14 says this, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This is one of the purposes of the church. Not to enjoy yourself, not just to have fun, but that if you are sick, and not just physically, if you are sick physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever way that you are sick, if you are sick of yourself, if you are sick of your situation, or if you are sick of your habits, sick of your addiction, the Bible says, let him call for the elders of the what? Of the church. So the reason why we come to church is because we realize that, we, that we're sick and that we need to be healed. It says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. We come to church to be forgiven of our sins. It says, confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So the first point is we need church. And church is not a recreation center. Now why do you go to a recreation center? You go to have fun. You go to enjoy yourself. You go to work. The Bible says bodily exercise profiteth nothing. You have a lot of people that does that in church. Have you ever seen a lot of people, have you ever been to a church and, and the whole time people are jumping, praising God, and, and, and it looks glorious, it looks great. And they're just moving all around. And basically what they're doing is exercising. That's about all they're doing because once they leave the church, they're not abiding by the word of God. They just came to get some exercise in. And God is saying that church is much, much more than a recreation center. Church is much more than a place that you come to just feel enjoyable or, or come to be just uplifted. Church is a place that change happens. Church is the place that changed my mind, that regulated my mind, that converted my heart and took me from having a stony heart to having a heart of flesh that the Lord wants to give each and every one of us. Church is what delivered me 
from wickedness. Church is what freed me from being a slave to the enemy, from being a slave to my own sin. But it did not happen just because I went to church, but it happened because I stopped looking at church as a recreation center and I started looking at it as a healing center. I started looking at it as a deliverance center. I, uh, center. I started looking at it with expectation. Do you come to church with expectation? When you hear the word of God, is it going in one ear and out the other? When you leave the house of God, do you meditate on the word that you just heard and say, man, I really need to make some changes in my life. Man, this word really applied to me. I can see where in my life I need to, to get better. Where in my life that I need to improve? Do you actually apply the word of God in your life? Or do you come because it just feels good to you? Because church is everything but a recreation center. Church is where you get healed. Church is where you really get saved. Why? The Bible says two is better than one. And what, a three-score fold or whatever is not easily broken? He said there are strength in numbers. Do you realize the Bible says where two or three or two or more people are gathered in my name, touching and agreeing on any one thing? There I am in the midst of them. He said, if you bind it on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. If you loose it on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. So when you come together with the body of believers, you come with power. That's why it's important to come with expectation. Because if you don't, then you miss out on the power that was in that church service. And while everybody else is being blessed, everybody else is being delivered and being set free, you leave out the same exact way you came in, maybe even a little bit worse. Why? Because you came with no expectation. When we come together as the body of Christ, sure we are strong all by ourselves with God. It is God who strengthens us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But when we come together and we touch and agree, it moves the Lord because it's not just one of his children. See, have you ever had kids? Probably not. I never had kids. But when you have kids, it's one thing if you hear one kid crying or screaming or making noise. You might ignore it. My mom a lot of times I would be making noise. She would ignore it. I'd be playing around, running around upstairs. She would ignore it. But then when all of us, it was six of us, when all six of us would get together and start wrestling and playing, oh, it moved her. She would come up there like, what are y'all doing? Sit down. I cannot take all that bumping over my head. But when it was just me bumping, it wasn't much of a problem. If one of us would cry or something, she didn't always just run to our rescue and be like, oh, what's wrong? Especially when we got older. But if we are all up there crying together, <laughs> she's going to wonder what is going on. I need to do something. And that's the way the Lord feels about us. Sure, he moves when we cry out to him. Sure, he moves when we pray to him. It says the, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. But when we are touching and agreeing on one thing, when we're all praying together, we're all worshiping the Lord together, it moves him in a different way than when he is moved when we're all alone. And even the enemy, the devil, see, when you're by yourself, it's easy for him to attack you. Easy for him to fill your mind with all type of thoughts. 
easy to try to sway you this way and that way, everywhere outside of the word of God and the will of God. But when you're together with the body of believers, the enemy can knock, but most times he cannot get in because you have a team. Amen. So we need the church. A lot of people really feel like they don't need church. And the word is my relation, my, my, my religion or my relationship with God even. It's not recreational. Well, if you truly believe that, then you would realize you need church. You would realize that church is not a recreation center. You would realize you can't just live by that excuse, oh, the church is not the building. We are the church. No, it's time out for that. That's not going to get you into heaven. It's not. But when you stop using excuses and you realize you don't, you, you, you don't um, just want church, but you actually need it. You need the other people of God coming together with you. You need to be in fellowship. You, do you not realize all week we fellowship with all of the devil's spirits? We go to work every day and we deal with spirits and everybody. Whether it be a clean or unclean spirit, we are surrounded each and every day. A lot of people don't realize that. They don't take that into account. But you are surrounded by spirits. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. Well, you got to go to work to provide, right? You ain't got no choice but to be around a bunch of sinners because you're at work. People are going to come in and they're, gonna, they're living in sin. So you need a church service to where you can come and not be surrounded by a bunch of demons, but actually be surrounded by the Lord's spirit. I realized this the most when I was working at the jail. Man, I was surrounded by so many demons all day, 12 hours, sometimes 16 hours, just surrounded by the devil, hearing all type of profanity, hearing all type of nasty, disgusting uh, sexual talk about fornication, hearing people trying me and, and women trying to entice me and, and get me to step out of my marriage, hearing all type of, of everything just going on. Inmates just screaming all day, making noise and cussing all day, rapping rap songs. That was the biggest thing. They were just rapping songs all day. You, I, while I'm trying to think of a gospel song and pray, praising God in my head, here you just hear them rapping a whole bunch of ungodly music. And it taught me to really appreciate the house of God because it really has a peace that you cannot find in this world. Amen. So we really need church. And we got to realize church is not a recreation center. In Matthew 15, verse 8, it says, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments. Of men. In John chapter 4, now let me slow down a little bit. It says, In vain they do worship me. And we learned that you can't really worship God if you're not doing it in spirit and truth. But a lot of people attempt to worship God in vain, which means they are doing it for the wrong reasons. And it says, They honor God with their mouth 
or they draw nigh to him, unto him with their mouth. They say hallelujah. And that's why God said, not everyone that says Lord, Lord shall inherit the kingdom of God, but their heart. God is concerned about what is in your heart. When you are in church and you're praising him, what is in your heart? Are you thinking to yourself, man, I'm just trying to just, just let this time pass by so I can hurry up and get out of here. Or are you thinking you want to maximize the time that you have here because you realize it's more of a blessing to you than the world will ever be and can ever be. But it says, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Some people will fake worship with you just so they can teach you false doctrine. Some people, you will go to a church and they worship services long and enjoyable and awesome looking. You see people worshiping God, praising him, going crazy for him, speaking in tongues for hours, all to the glory of God. And then, boom, the message comes and you hit with a whole bunch of sugar. Boom, the message comes. No conviction, no repentance, no nothing. Just everything is good. God will provide for you. God will put food on your tables. And then the, the tithes and offering basket come around five times. <laughs> That's why he said, in vain they worship me. Teaching for, doc teaching for doctors the commandments of men. Do you know that we learn not from what we told, but we've learned from what we see? When you're a kid, even though your parents will say, don't smoke, you see them smoking and it will make you want to smoke. Even though they tell you, if you smoke, I am going to whoop you. If you smoke, you're going to be on punishment. But because of the fact that you've seen your parent do it, it creates uh, something in your mind. And your mind tells you, well, it can't be that bad, as they say, because they're doing it. They're telling me, don't have sex before marriage. Don't fornicate. The Bible says that to flee fornication. But then they're doing it. So if it's, if, you know, it can't be that bad. If they're treating their, religion, their relationship and their religion recreational, then it, it can't be that bad to do it myself. That's the way kids learn. It's from watching, not just hearing. See, they hear what you say, but they also see what you do. And that's why it's important as a Christian to lead by example. A lot of times we worship in vain, but we teach doctrines of the commandments of men, meaning that we lead people astray. Because even though they can hear our words clearly saying repent, when they see that we're not repenting ourselves, what we're teaching them is that you're supposed to say, God, forgive me, but not actually live the life that God called you to live. So in John chapter 4, it says, ye worship, ye, what ye, ye worship, ye know not what, which means you are worshiping something you don't even know. You don't even know what you're worshiping. You're just doing it. And it says, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship service is not a concert, nor for entertainment. i say it again. Worship service is not a concert, nor is it for our entertainment, but it's for edification. When you come together in a church, 
and you worship the Lord together, you lift him up. Not only do you lift him up, but in order to worship God in spirit and in truth, you have to do what? You have to humble yourself. A lot of people say, Lord, I decrease so that you may increase. And when we worship God in spirit and in truth, that's what we're doing. We're decreasing and increasing him. We're humbling ourselves before him. A lot of times when people worship, they'll bow before the Lord. Why? Because they're humbling themselves. They'll raise their hands and surrender to God. Why? Because they're humbling themselves. What does the Lord say about the humble? It says if you humble yourself, the Lord will raise you up. There's a song I used to sing in my old praise and worship team. When the praises of God are going up, blessings are coming down. That is the purpose of worship, is that when we come together and we worship the Lord, not just in vain, not just any old way, not just the way that feels most comfortable for us, but when we worship him in spirit and in truth, when we really open our hearts unto him and we say, Lord, here is my worship. Here is my praise. Here is my hallelujah. I'm not just shouting out in vain. I'm not just saying it because the rest of the people are saying it. I'm not just jumping around because the person next to me is doing it. But God, I'm doing it with an expectation. God, I'm worshiping you because I realize that you are better to me than I've been to myself. I realize you've been better to me than my family. I realize you said you will never leave me nor forsake me, but for some reason I left you and you did not turn your back on me, but you waited with open arms for me to come right back in. And because of that, God, I worship you. I give you this offering of praise. So God is wondering, why are you praising him? When you're in worship service, are you just clapping your hands just because that's what you're supposed to do? Or are you clapping your hands with a purpose? Are you stumping your feet with a purpose? Your hallelujah doesn't have a purpose behind it. Because worship service is not for entertainment, and it's not a concert. I've seen countless times people turn worship service into concerts. I've sang, not at a, well, I've sang at a, at a gospel concert before, but I've sang at like a talent show before. The way I sing at a talent show is different from the way I'm going to sing in church. Because if I'm auditioning, I have to show off my skills. I have to show them uh, basically what I'm made of. I have to show them what I can do. I, can, I have to show them my range, what I'm able to do with my voice in order for them to select me. But God said, just make a joyful noise. So when we come into church, when I go to church, it's a difference. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to show people my range and, and show them what I can do with my voice. But I'm singing because I want to worship and praise God. And I can feel his presence laying on my heart as I'm singing. So I'm not just, I'm not doing it the same way I would if I'm just showing somebody, hey, you know, I'm showing them that I can sing. It's a difference. And we got to realize that worship service is not a concert. It's not for you to show off how great you are. I've watched people, and this is so weird, this is funny, 
Have you ever seen people compete and pray? How do you compete in praising God? Shame on you. How, how, what sense does that make? What sense does that make? That you're competing on praising God. I've seen people speak in tongues in competition against each other and try to get louder than each other speaking in tongues, going back and forth. And I watched it, and I watched the same people do this. Now, I remember growing up, and I never realized it, never caught on to it. I would just be thinking, man, these people love God. But I remember the day that God revealed it to me, and he allowed me to see it for what it really was, that these people were really worshiping God in vain, speaking in tongues, competing with one another, trying to be louder, trying to be more spiritual than one another. One of them lay hands on somebody, the other one lay hands on somebody. They see the person, land, they, they lay hands on somebody, and the person fall out and start speaking in tongues, and so they go and push somebody down and make it look like they're doing the same thing. People, it is funny, but people really do this. People treat the church like a competition place. They treat it like a race, uh, they treat it like it's a concert to show off who got the best skill, who can do this better than who, who can praise God the most, the longest. But my religion is not recreational. I do not come to church. Hey, if you're trying to compete with me, go ahead, you by yourself. Because <laughs> I could care less. I remember meeting a guy who would sing and we would sing together. And every time after church service, he would want to sing with me again. And I would be like, what are you doing? And then he would just want to keep singing. And then he would be like, you go. And then I'm going to go. And then he would compare his voice with mine. And then he would go, man, how, how do you just do that so, like, easily? It's like you're not even trying or thinking about it. And I'm like, because I'm not. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm not trying. I'm not thinking about it. I'm worshiping the Lord. But because he was trying to compete with me, he couldn't do the same things I could do. It wasn't that I was just so much better than him because he was a great singer. But it was the fact that I wasn't trying to sing good. I was just trying to worship. The and I remember the day he stopped singing. And he never wanted to sing again. All because he felt intimidated by me. And that is the trick of the enemy. Is that you feel intimidated by other people's gifts in the church. You come to church and you compare yourself among yourself. What the Bible says is not wise, but you look at people and what they can do and you compare it to what you can do and you think that what you can do is so small compared to them. But what does that word pastor preached? He said appreciating the little things, making use of the little things, not ignoring, not overlooking the little things because God sees that. God sees, sure he sees the person that's singing with the wonderful voice in front of the church. But you know he, who he sees more? The one who's cleaning the bathrooms. The one who's taking the trash out. The one who's keeping the door. Why? Because nobody is looking at them. Nobody is watching them. Nobody is saying, oh, great job. I love the way you hold the door. Nobody can hold the door like you. No one is patting them on the back. But the singers, the preachers, they get pats on the back because it's the most glorious thing that, that you could do in the church. But God sees the little things. 
He sees the non-glorious things that we do. He sees the things that we do behind the scenes, behind closed doors. So we got to know our worship. It's not for entertainment and it's not a concert, amen. But when we come to church, we come with expectation. In Matthew 6, it says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thy alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And what Jesus means by that is they have their reward. Is that glory from men that they receive? That, that oh, great job. Oh, you did great. That is their reward. That's it. But they don't receive a reward from their heavenly Father. It says, but when thou doest alms, which means whatever you do for the Lord, no matter what it is, how big, how small, when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. When the Lord sees what you are doing behind closed doors, he will reward you openly. Where so that people will look at you and say, how is he so blessed? Why? Because they have no idea what you do behind closed doors. They don't know how spiritual you are. All they see is the blessings of the Lord upon you. All they see is the favor of the Lord just resting heavy on you. Have you ever been around a person and every time you get around them, their aura is just so different? I remember for the longest time, I couldn't look pastor in the eye. <laughs> I couldn't. I just couldn't. And I didn't understand why it was. But I understand now it's because of the life I was living was contrary to the life he was living. I could tell that he was living a righteous life, not just in the pulpit where everybody can see, but that he was actually seeking God behind closed doors. Why? Because when I would come around him, I could feel it. I was not comfortable. He would be having conversations with me, and I would be counting down the time until it's over because I felt nervous. I felt overwhelmed. And it was the presence and the spirit of God. It made me feel uncomfortable because it wasn't residing in me. You see, when you don't have the Holy Spirit and you come around somebody that truly has it, you come around somebody that's not faking it to make it, that's not just pretending, but they're actually serving God in secret. They actually have a secret place that they go to and you're living in sin. You don't feel comfortable. So if you call yourself a Christian and sinners are just so comfortable around you, and they just have any type of conversations with you. They include you in everything. They go into a party to drink, and they're inviting you every day. That should tell you something about yourself, that you aren't in the secret place as much as you should be. It says our secret walk with God is more important than our public walk with him. You will be much more powerful, much more effective in public if you actually do what you're called to do in secret. Even though people will not know what you are doing, they are going to feel what you are doing. And you can say the same words. 
I remember working in the optical with Pastor. And because I was young, and he was way more experienced than me, and he's older than me, he's a grown man, and I was really young. And I looked, I, I look young now, but I looked even younger. I didn't have no sideburns or nothing. Face was just naked, smooth. You can tell it ain't because I shaved, it's just nothing growing there. And people would hear my words and ignore me. And then he would come say the same exact word I said, word for word, and then they would go, oh, okay, I get it. And I would be like, come on. I just told you that, but they didn't trust me <laughs> because I was so young. And they, they're like, nah, he, they just looked me off, looked me over, like, he, he can't know that much. You know, he, he, don't, he don't know what he's talking about. And I'm being taught by the guy that they're listening to, being trained by him, but they, they didn't see that. But it's the same way spiritually. A lot of times you can hear one thing from somebody and not receive it at all. And then another person can say it and it hits you a total different way. That is evidence that they're not just preaching in public. They're not just living uh, a, a walk for God in public, but they're actually doing it in secret. See, if you're going to realize that your relationship with God and your religion is not for recreation, then you will know this point that your secret walk with God, not equally as important, it is more important than your public walk with God. God cares more about what you do when nobody's around than he does when you, when you, what you do when everybody's around. Because sure, you're going to serve God and everybody's watching. Of course you are. <laughs> but God wants to know, what are you going to do when you are all alone? No one's looking. Because that is who you are. We're not the same in public. Our voices even change when we're at work, when we deal with customers. My voice is like this right now, but when I talk to a customer, it's different. It's not super high-pitched. It's, it's almost the same, but it's a little bit slower, smoother. I'm like, hi, how can I help you? I don't come to patients like, uh, what's up, what you want? But I might say, what's up to my wife? <laughs> we know how to act in public. It's easy. Especially when we have an example, we just act how they act, and they're going to accept us. But God is looking at who are you behind closed doors? What are you doing behind the scenes? What are you doing when no one's watching? Because that defines who you really are. Chapter 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And it should be my last scripture. So it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's one thing to say you are not ashamed, but it's another thing to live as if you're not ashamed. I lived a large, large chunk of my life ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Especially as a kid, going to school every day. Because all of these kids would be in the cool group. They would all talk to each other, socialize, have fun, giggle, laugh with each other. And they would ignore me. And I would feel so insignificant that I was ashamed of the gospel. So I didn't tell them that, that I was in the church. Whew, but when people found out I was in the church, <laughs> whew, it got a lot different. 
started calling me church boy and this, that, and they would joke around and say, we're going to go to this place, we're going to go to this party, and then they would go, oh, yeah, you can't go. <laughs> you know, you're a church boy. And at first, I was ashamed of that. I was sorely ashamed. I would put my head down. I wouldn't say nothing. But call me a church boy now. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to agree with it. I'm going to say, yes, hallelujah, I'm a church boy. If that's what you want to call. I remember when I was working at the jail, a lot, of the, a lot of the women would call me that. That's how they would refer to me as that little church boy. The little church boy. Man. But I guess what? I didn't get mad. I didn't get offended. There's nothing to be offended about. I owned it. I said, yep, I'm that little church boy. If that's what you want to recognize me at, see, I, I'd rather you recognize me as that little church boy. I would rather you recognize me as that irritating person that always talking about God, that person that you just don't go around because they're going to say something about God, say something about church. They're always offering to pray for me. I would rather be known as that person uh, uh, rather than be known as that one person that, think that they say, oh, he'll out drink you. He'll out smoke you. You can't smoke more than him. He's not a, uh, what, what they call it, he's not a lightweight. Oh, he'll out party you. Oh, he can dance real good. I'd rather have a reputation of being an irritating little church boy. <laughs> Amen. Because I am no longer ashamed of the gospel. When you are not ashamed of the gospel, it's going to show. Real Christians are not idle, wasting time, but are on the battlefield, fighting for the advancement of the kingdom of God. See, if you're going to realize that your religion is not recreational, that means that you see that you're not just in this life, but you are in a constant war. You see that when you see people, you're not just looking at their flesh and judging them, but you're looking at the contents of their spirit. You're receiving discernment from the Holy Spirit and from God, letting you know what this person's intents are, letting you know what, what the contents of their heart is. Why? Because you are on the battlefield. See, a lot of us call ourselves Christians, but we wake up every day and we don't minister to nobody. Don't say nothing to God about God to nobody. Don't invite nobody to church, and then we expect our church to grow, but we don't invite anybody. We expect people to be saved. We expect people to come to the Lord, but we don't invite people to the Lord. What sense does that make? What sense does that make? That's like going to a restaurant, and, it, and the food is so great, and you're expecting all of your family to go there, but you don't tell them of how great the restaurant was. You're just assuming they're going to go there on their own like you did. That's what we do with our walk with God. We got saved. We got delivered from sin. And we just expect everybody else to get it how we got it. Nobody is the same. There are people, the only God they're going to get, the only word they're going to get is through your mouth. There are a lot of people whose blood is on our hands. God said if we warn the sinner from his wicked way, rather he turn or not, his blood is off of our hands. And he said, thou hast delivered thy soul. But when you see the wicked man in his wicked way and you fail to warn him and you fail to tell him about the gospel of Jesus Christ, then his blood, it says that God will require it at your hand. 
So if you realize your life in Christ is not recreational, you're not just waking up every day to enjoy yourself, but you realize that you are on the battlefield, you realize that you are in a war, that means that you're, the God, God's word is going to continually just flow out of your heart, flow from your mouth. That you just can't help but minister to somebody because you're just overflowing with the presence and the word of God. Real Christians are not just idle. They're not just wasting time. See, we are on limited time. We are on borrowed time. The Bible says redeem the time for the days are evil. Do you not realize there is wicked people out there? There's spiritual wickedness in high places. There are people that aren't delivered. There are people that are homeless. There are people that are, are hopeless. Even worse, there are people that are depressed. There are people that are suicidal. There are people that are pondering if they should really follow God or not, if they should come to church or not, if it's really going to make a difference in their life. And these people are waiting for Christians like me and you to come and minister to them. You did not come to God on your own. Somebody ministered to you. You would think that because I grew up in the church my whole entire life that I would have got it right a long time ago, that I should be way advanced by now. I'm about to be 23 years old. Most people would say, would just assume, oh, yeah, you got to be whew, way up there because you've been in church your whole life. No, it took time. It took a long time. And it took ministry. I had to listen to the word of God. It was preached to me. Over and over. And one day I actually received it into my heart. I stopped just hearing it. Stopped just being a hearing hearer of the word. I started to be a hearer and a doer. Also, this world needs us. The Bible don't call us the salt of the earth for no reason. We are the salt of the earth because we are preserving it. We are the salt of the earth because we are a city that sits on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we are not ashamed of the gospel. The Bible says to proclaim the Lord among the heathen, among all people, no matter if they want to receive it or not, that is on them. But it's up to you. Are you going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed of it? Are you scared? Are you timid? Are you too afraid to share about what the Lord has done? A lot of people are ashamed of their own testimony. They're intimidated by it. They don't want to tell people. They don't want people to know the things that they used to do. How are you ashamed of the power and authority of God to change you? How are you ashamed about a God who was so faithful even though you weren't faithful? We think that because we tell people our past that it's going to make them look at us a certain way. And some people might look at us a certain way. But the Bible says this, that we are overcome by the blood of the lamb. But not only that, but by the words of our testimony. So when we share where the Lord has brought us from and let people know that are without hope, it gives them hope that if God deliver you from such a wrong, such a disgusting, such a perverted background, then I believe that he can save me as well. My grandpa used to testify to me all the time that he used to be addicted to crack cocaine. And that always gave me, um, that always gave me strength. It always gave me, uh, it always uplifted me. It always helped me to believe that God could deliver me because I've never been addicted to a substance like that. But I, I've seen people and I've seen how hard it is to get clean. 
And I would always think about that if God delivered this man, that I know he can deliver me. If God took our pastor from being an atheist who didn't believe in God, made fun of Christians, and took him, turned his life around to where he's leading a church as a, that don't even make sense. I, that's not even fathomable for me. But you know what? It gives me hope that if God can take an atheist man and turn him into a pastor, and not just any pastor, but one that's standing on the word of God, not sugarcoating the word, not taking from it or adding to it, but preaching the word of God to where at one point he didn't even believe in it, where he used to smoke weed out of Bible paper, he said. If God can do that, it makes me wonder, God, what can you do for me? Surely you can deliver me. I know you can because I've watched your power through other people. People need to see God's power through us. Some people won't experience it on their own because they won't open up to God. But when they see us, and we're not just faking, but we're actually, we're not just treating our religion as a recreation. We're not just treating church as a recreation center. We're not just treating worship service as an, as an entertaining concert. But when they see that we are really living this life that God called us to live, and they see the results, they're going to want a piece of it. Who do people go to when they need financial advice? Rich people. People will listen to a rich person. It, it was rich people that decided for us of all of this COVID stuff, that decided for us that it was mandatory to wear a mask. You know why the, the majority of people listen to them? Because they're above. They're, they're rich. They're experienced. They have more. It, people tend to listen to people that have more than them that's been through more than them, that, that, that possess more than them, they will listen to them. Rich man can tell them, go dump your head in the toilet. And that's the best way to get money. And a lot of people will just go do it. Like, man, well, he got rich, so it must work. <laughs> and that's how sinners look at us. When they see that you are for real, and you really got saved, they're gonna want a piece of that. They're gonna say, man, this guy is not just pretending, he really got changed. And they're going to want to change too. People want to change. They just can't. I've been there myself where I wanted to change, but I couldn't do it because I was trying to do it by myself. I had to learn to depend on God, but it took me watching other people, learning from other people. See, we think we don't need nobody. The devil want us to think that's the doctrines of men that the Bible was referring to. It's to think that you just good all by yourself. You don't need nobody. You don't need church, you got God right here in your heart. You don't need to be ministered to, you know the scriptures. You can quote them forwards and backwards. You don't need no preacher to preach to you. You can preach to yourself. And that attitude will take you straight to hell. It says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. This is actually my last scripture, 2 Corinthians 5 and 14. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. Do you hear that verse? It says that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus died for all, that they which live, talking about us, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, 
Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How is it that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature? Because Jesus did not live for himself. Did you know that? Jesus did not live, nor did he die for himself. He lived and died and lived again for us, for you, that you might be saved. And it says real Christians do not live for themselves, but for God and him alone. You realize that Jesus didn't live for himself. If he did, he would have received all the glory of men. He would have never, he would have never let himself been captured if he was living for himself. If all he wanted to do was show off his great power and might, he could have what called a legion of angels and wiped everybody out. Matter of fact, he didn't even need a legion of angels. He could have snapped his finger and made them disappear. If he was healing the blind by spitting in clay and, and putting it on their eyes, he was multiplying food and healing people of leprosy, making the lame walk, at the, from people that, that were lame from, from birth, which means they, they never could walk. And he was, if he had that much power, surely he had the power to destroy people, not just to lift them up, not just to encourage them. But he did all of this for us. He lived a selfless life. He lived knowing he was going to be crucified, knowing the pain that came with it. He knew that he was going to be betrayed by Judas. And he did not cast Judas away. Do you realize that? He sat at the Last Supper with him, even declared to him, one of you is going to betray me. But he did not betray him. He didn't turn his back on him. He still opened his arms unto him, knowing what he was going to do. Looked him in his eyes once he kissed him and said, Be betray thou the Father of God with a kiss? Let him know, I know what you're doing and I know what you are going to do. But look at my response. It says he uttered not a mumbling word, taking all of that sacrifice for us. And we have the audacity to wake up each and every day and live our life for ourselves. Live our life for selfishness. Live our life to our flesh. Live our life for our dreams, our will, what we want to do, what we want to accomplish, what do we want to have in life. We have the nerve to do that. We have the nerve to pray, and it's never spiritual. You got to watch your prayers. When you pray, is it just God provide for me? Is it only God do this for me? God give me this, give me a new car. God bless me with a new place. God do this. No, when we pray, we're supposed to be praying that God heal me. Not, not my body, Lord, but my spirit. God, draw me closer to you. God, I want to be closer to you. I want to know more about you. I want to be more like you. God, I want to be anointed. God, show me the way. God, lead Strongsville Christian Church, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good news. To the poor, um, there was a MS he has sent me to heal the broken hearted and to preach deliverance. 
to the cabin. Let no man deceive you. By any means, for the day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Strong's Christian Church.